I'd like to invite John now to bring the reading of the scripture this morning. Second Samuel chapter 9. I'm reading from the NLT. One day David asked, Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? the king asked. Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, Is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, Yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? the king asked. In Lodibar, the Ziba told him, at the home of Makura, son of Amiel. So David sent for him and brought him from Makura's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, Greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your father's grandson, will eat here at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba replied, Yes, my lord the king, I am your servant, and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. From then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants, and Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. Everyone, once again, welcome to the visitors this morning, especially if uh, you're here for the first time. So we're looking at Second uh, Samuel chapter nine, the story of Mephibosheth, and when we say story. Let's just be very clear. It's history. It's not just some novel or some fiction. It is fact, and it's also his story, the story of Mephibosheth, but also the story of God to us, God's revelation. God gives us his word for a reason, and he reveals himself to us. And as we've been journeying through this book of 1st and 2nd Samuel, we are beginning to hear more and more about who God is and how we relate to him. And of course, it is very much the story of two contrasting kings, Saul, who started well, and young David, and the contrast between those two. The book of 1st and 2nd Samuel is preceded by the book of Judges and Ruth. And in Judges, there was no king. And everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And then in the book of Ruth, there is the preview of a special king coming, David of the line of Jesse, through a Moabite woman, Ruth, married to Boaz. 
And then we come to this wonderful collection of history concerning King David. Now, we remember that First and Second Samuel are, in fact, one book. And uh, the book starts and ends with a song. I want to bring that to your attention. First Samuel chapter 2 contains the song of Hannah. And Second Samuel 22 contains the song or the psalm of David. And these songs are key bookends. And if you take those songs, this chapter today comes even more alive to us. So keep that in your mind for later on. First of all, please welcome, this is my friend Calado from Papua New Guinea. And Calado worked with us at Christian Books Melanesia, and then he went to MAF and CLTC. And Calado, when he was born in the village, his heart stopped, and he was resuscitated by a New Zealand missionary. Uh, he's a good man, and um, he loves the Word of God. He's a very keen believer. Some years after his birth, um, polio swept through Calado's village of Sibalanga. And sadly, very tragically, Calado was left crippled, and uh, he has never been able to walk. And so he, he hops along. I've never seen his twisted le uh, right leg. I've never, he's always worn long trousers, and he, he hops or limps along the streets of Papua New Guinea. And uh, when he preaches, he preaches with his crutches, sort of like a machine gun. And I've always, always thought that was quite, quite useful. Anyway, so that is a little reminder of someone who is unable to walk. And it's a sad reminder. And of course, we have read about Mephibosheth, who was lame on both his feet. Today's chapter can be divided into three parts, and we're going to be looking today at a kind king, a dead dog, and a forever friend. And uh, the big idea from the passage, and I'm going to do this very carefully, God rescues the fallen and restores relationship. Now in verse 1 to 5, we find that the handover to King David has finally been achieved. And to be honest, the handover from the household of Saul to David has not been peaceful. It has not been a smooth transition at all. The households of Saul and David have been warring for some seven years. And David is finally crowned king in Jerusalem. He, first of all, was in Hebron for some time while that civil war was resolved. And now, finally, he is in the place he belongs, on the rightful throne, king of Israel and Judah. And now all eyes are on this new king. How will he respond to this power that is now in his hands? He's in his rightful position as king. And surely now he will crush his enemies. Surely now he will right all that wrong that he has suffered and pay back that injustice that he has endured all those years as a fugitive from a cruel King Saul. And by the way, kings don't have to be kind. In fact, many kings are not kind. 
leadership affects us all in different ways, and it's common to see in a king ambition and retribution. Ambition because here David had every opportunity to enlarge his borders, to annex property, to seize control, and to increase his power, to increase his wealth and influence. He had every opportunity and every right to retribution, to to wipe out the remnant of Saul, to crush them and to avenge his persecution. And self-preservation and exaltation is the way of the world. It is human behavior, isn't it? But David, King David, this shepherd king, is God's anointed king. And the sovereign rule of Yahweh is exercised through the anointed king of Israel. That was always God's plan, always God's intention with the monarchy in Israel. A king that would be a man after God's own heart. A king that would represent Yahweh and would bring attributes of Yahweh to the nation, revealing God's character. And so we have here a kind king, but also one who is able to show kindness as the attribute of God. So in verse 3, you'll notice that where he has offered kindness, he says, I want to show God's kindness. Kindness is the attribute of our God. It is the attribute of mercy and loving kindness. It shows us who God is. It shows us his character and his behavior. And kindness in this respect is often described as loving kindness. It is actually mercy and grace revealed. God uses this word in Scripture to reveal himself as a merciful and good and loving, kind God. In in Psalm 86, we read that God is full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in mercy and truth. Psalm 103, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Same word, kindness, mercy. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy to those who fear him. Psalm 107, verse 43, whoever is wise will observe these things, and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And so David responds with kindness as he expresses the heart of God. He responds with one of the most gracious questions of this book. Is anyone left of the household of Saul to whom I can show kindness? Kindness for Jonathan's sake not because of anything of worth in Mephibosheth, but because of a covenant promise he has made with Jonathan. In 1 Samuel 20, we're hearing a lot about covenants last week, but here we have this covenant fulfilled because David says, I promised Jonathan. Jonathan and I talked, and now there is this opportunity for me to show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Saul's servant, Ziba, is summoned. He answers the king's questions. Yes, there is a lone survivor. He's probably in hiding. 
at the house of Machia, son of Amiel, in Lodibar. But king, one thing I need to tell you, he's maimed, he's crippled, he's compromised, he's lame on both his feet. Now, we're not sure what Zeba, the servant's motive, is here. We somehow doubt his motives because later on in the book we find that he has some trickery within him. Possibly he is saying to the king, look, this young man is no threat to you. Don't worry about it. He's lame on both his feet. But possibly he's saying, don't worry about it, king. He's fine. Move on. Nothing to see. So he's possibly protecting his own patch. But one thing we do see, we see David's leadership traits coming through loud and clear. Firstly, he's willing to take advice. He seeks counsel. He looks to others. Secondly, he's a promise keeper, keeping his word, fulfilling the covenant pledge that he's made with his friend Jonathan. He's honoring that pledge for Jonathan's sake. He's been relational. Leaders are relational, and he's also been intergenerational. He's reaching out to a younger person, connecting with a younger man. He's a servant leader. He's showing care and showing kindness, and this kindness is not just tokenism. It's not just some little piece of charity. It's not being kind in a sentimental, wishy-washy way. It is practical charity with dignity. And he's reaching out to this young man. So we can say from this that this kind king is also expressing God's loving kindness, offering help and hope. And by the way, is there someone, someone in your life, in your circle of influence, to whom you can show kindness for God's sake. Because kindness is an attribute of God which he wants to see demonstrated in his people. If we are children of the king, if we are sons and daughters of the living God, if we are princes of royalty, kindness should be on our lips and in our hearts and in our actions. Kindness for Jesus' sake. I was reminded of a very special man a week or two ago. Um, that is a picture of the foyer. About 10 days ago, we, we uh, had the service, the funeral service, for a very, very special man, Brother Jack Boyens. And uh, today's message is a bit bittersweet because one of my critics has gone to heaven. So I'm feeling a bit safer this morning. But um, JB, as he was affectionately known, was a very, very caring, kind man. And he reached out to the younger generation. And I want to just read to you one of his last emails that he sent. And I believe he would have written this when his voice was failing, when he could hardly speak. And he sent this email to the Hokunui email address on Wednesday, the 28th of April. This is what it says. Congratulations to Scott and Julia. Please pass on my congratulations to Scott and Julia. I have prayed for them for many long years. Jack Boyens. Kindness, reaching out to the next generation. A dear man who received the newsletter, read the news of Scott and Julia's marriage and was willing to encourage even on his deathbed. Wonderful example of kindness. And so I want to encourage us all in 
the steps of kindness. In the next session, we find that Mephibosheth comes into the presence of King David. And this is actually a, a wonderful, wonderful passage. And I want to spend a little bit of time on this middle section. Here we have, in verse 6 to 8, a dead dog. But I want to go back just a little bit to chapter 4, verse 4. This gives you a, bit, a little bit of context. 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4 says this, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled. But as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. Now, if you have an NIV Bible, you might notice that that verse is actually in brackets, obviously because of the context of chapter 4. But this event for Mephibosheth was not a bracket. It was not a parenthesis in his life. This event was a significant, significant life-changing event. What happened in that chapter is very terrible. His uncle Ishbethish is murdered. And uh, the nurse, in a panic, in much danger, comes and grabs this five-year-old, this, this happy, running, active, healthy little boy, and tragedy strikes. He's scooped up by a frantic nurse as they turn to run. He falls and is crippled forever. Now, my subject today is actually the man who fell on, on his feet. And um, for my Indian friends, this saying is actually an idiom. It's a saying about achieving a fortunate outcome in a difficult situation. To fall on your feet uh, is describing that. <clears throat> it's taken from the ability of a cat to fall from a height and always land on their feet. And by the way, very interesting incident for me when I was a youngster on furlough, missionary furlough from India, and we were in Christchurch and uh, at a, uh, a house for lunch, and a man actually said to me, did you know that a cat will always fall on its feet? And I was absolutely fascinated. And so he said, look, I'll, I'll prove it to you. So he picked up this, I'm serious, he picked up this grey tabby Quite an old tabby, and actually held it at a you know at a, some distance and dropped it you know upside down, and sure enough, it fell, fell on its feet. And then he did it again. At which point the cat went away. <clears throat> you see, the cats are designed to land safely, but children are not designed to fall from a height. Humans falling from a height normally land on their head, but in this case, something very tragic has happened. It's not just season ending. It's not just career ending. This is life changing. This is permanent damage. And now forever, this young man, Mephibosheth, will be labeled as lame on both his feet. And three times in Scripture, chapter 4 and also in this chapter we've read, three times, each time Mephibosheth is mentioned, the writer adds he was lame on both his feet. And his life will forever be punctuated by before and after. Life before the accident, life after the accident. And surely the if-onlys would have come into it and the what-ifs. It's very possible his name 
means shame because Bosheth is actually a word for shame. But his original name recorded for us in 1 Chronicles chapter 8, verse 34, tells us that his first name is actually Mirabal. So possibly he has been renamed because of that Baal in his original. But whatever it is, Mephibosheth now bows in the presence of the king. And in this context, he hears four amazing offers from a powerful king who has the ability to wipe him out forever. Four things that David says. Don't be afraid. I will show you kindness. I will restore your inheritance and your future. And I welcome you to my table forever. Four things that Mephibosheth did not expect to hear. Mephibosheth, in his amazement, questions, why would you notice a dead dog like me? A dead dog. Labels are very common. Your surname, if it's an Anglo-Saxon surname, will probably give you a bit of a detail of who you are, where you've come from, your family. If you're a Linton or a Gaston or a Houghton or Bolton, you have come from a town of some sort, Linton. Ton is a settlement or an enclosure, and Crawford has come from a, a ford somewhere. And then you have the, the Smiths and the Falconers. Falconers are hunters. Smiths are blacksmiths. You might have um, the Jamisons, son of James somewhere along the way. Yeah, and Robinson, son of Robert, Williamson, and then, of course, you've got Peter's son. <laughs> from the house of the rising sun. <laughs> I'm not sure about the lynches. <clears throat> and the Bible is full of labels. You might find them to be cruel. There was Joseph the dreamer. There was Rahab, the prostitute, and Matthew, the tax collector. There were sons of thunder, the Lord Jesus, the carpenter's son, the friend of sinners. And now here we have Mephibosheth. Got that wrong. Mephibosheth, the dead dog. So labels can be cutting and cruel, and no one likes a dead dog. No one keeps a dead dog. It's, it describes a a totally useless and worthless object. David used it to refer to himself when he was running from King Saul. And as he called to King Saul from the cave and he said, what are you doing chasing a dead dog like me? I'm just a flea. And now the tables are reversed. And David is now the top dog. And Mephibosheth is the underdog disabled and hopeless and helpless and overwhelmed. And Mephibosheth was right. He was totally, totally worthless and useless to David. There was no value in him whatsoever. He couldn't fight. He couldn't serve. He couldn't work. He couldn't keep gardens. In fact, if anything, he was a threat because he was still of the line of Saul. And David looks beyond his injury and he welcomes him. 
to the royal table. Mephibosheth's blame and shame is overlooked and covered by David's powerful and generous kindness. And the label of dead dog no longer applies. Perhaps you have a label. Perhaps you have a past. Your labels, your past failures do not define you in God's sight. That tragedy, that harm, that injury, that mistake, that injustice, that disability does not define our worth in God's sight. Lauren Daigle, you say, I am loved. You say I'm strong when I think I'm weak. In you I find my worth. In you I find my identity. You have every failure, God. You have every victory. You say I'm loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I'm strong when I think I'm weak. And I believe. Today we have, all of us, a past. Skeletons in the, in the cupboard. Mistakes we've made, injuries we have suffered, and God, through Christ, invites us to be with him and not let those labels and failures define us. In verses 9 to 13, the recovery package that King David puts together for Mephibosheth is better than any labor budget you'll ever receive. Sorry, Gavin. Um, his family's assets, his estate is restored. Um, verse 10, the, his helpers and labor force, force are appointed. Ziba's 15 sons and 20 servants, that's bigger than the YAG working bee yesterday, it turned up. But most importantly in verse 10, Mephibosheth is invited to eat at the king's table forever. Verse 13, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table and he was crippled in both feet. And so Mephibosheth's dignity and security are restored, but also friendship and relationship with King David. And now he is the man who fell on his feet because he's come from, from rags to riches. He's come from being a fugitive to having freedom and honor in the court. And so he has totally, totally turned around. His recovery is indeed complete. The king's rescue guarantees provision and privilege. And I ask you the question, was Mephibosheth blessed? Was he able to look back on his life and say, actually, the things that happened to me, God meant them for good? You see, if Mephibosheth was not injured and crippled, he probably would have died in war. He probably would have been unable to come to the presence of King David and be restored. Once again, I bring you to those two songs at the front and back of this book. Place those songs together and you'll find an amazing theme that makes sense of this chapter. You see, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah speaks and sings about her deliverance from wrought by Almighty God, the one who is able to lift up, the one who is able to raise the poor and lift the beggar and to guard the feet of his saints. 
we find again in chapter 22 of 2 Samuel, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and sets me on my high places so my feet, my feet did not slip. And so we have these two songs expressed in this chapter about Mephibosheth. A song of deliverance, a song of lifting up, whereby God is able to intervene and rescue and raise up those who have fallen. And Romans chapter 8 sums it up well. If God be for us, who can be against us? What can separate us from the love of Christ? He that spared not his own son, but delivered up for us all. How will he not with him also freely give us all things? The psalmist in chapter 40 says that he has placed my feet on a rock and established my ways and given me a new song to sing. And so the question as we go through this book is who is God? What is God? And what is our heart toward him? God is loving. God is kind. God is willing to redeem and rescue. He invites us to relationship with him, not because of what we have done or what we have not done, but because of his beloved son, the Lord Jesus. And we can respond to that in submission today. James chapter 4 tells us that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And he exhorts us, humble therefore yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he will lift you up. God will do that when we respond to him in submission, in contrition, in repentance and faith. And so when Mephibosheth sat at the king's table, his crippled legs were never seen again because the dead dog had become a forever friend. God rescues the fallen and restores relationships. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful for your grace, for your loving kindness and mercy. We are people who are in need. and We come to you this morning in brokenness as we've sung already. We come to you in worship as we bow before you, the King of glory. Thank you for your wonderful plan of salvation revealed in the Lord Jesus. We think of this table that you invite us to. We think of your love poured out at great cost and great sacrifice. And we come to say thank you and to bow before you as dead dogs, but now forever friends seated at your table. Your banner over us is love. And so we thank you and pray that you'll help us to draw near to you, to humble ourselves before you and know your forgiveness and healing. Today, Lord, if there are people who are hurting, people who have got hurts and injury in their lives, may they know your love, may they know your acceptance, your welcome, your forgiveness, your healing and your strength. This we pray for your namesake. Amen.